This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 437. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and I'm joined by company president and founder, Jacob Paulson. <laughs> Thank you, Riley. <laughs> You're welcome. You know, credit, you know, where credit's due. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, we're, I'm thrilled to have the boss man on with me again. It's been a while. Uh, <laughs> but today is our Justified Saves episode. Uh, I'm really excited about some stories today. Uh, it's it, it never ceases to disappoint the stories that our producer Matthew pulls from the interwebs and puts in the outline. Uh, so stay tuned. Today's uh, stories are going to blow some of your minds there's uh we'll save the best for last but uh to give you a hint or a clue it has to do with what appears to be at least as far as we could tell a random killing involving a cemetery and just stuff that you cannot make up anywhere except for you heard it you heard it here first on the podcast the concealed carry podcast and uh, i always look forward to our monthly justified saves or dgu stories Today's episode sponsored and brought to you by, you know it, CCW Safe. You can find them at ccwsafe.com, of course. Uh, we, Jacob and I are both members of CCW Safe. We are big, big, big fans. Um, Jacob, what's your favorite thing about CCW Safe? Uh, unlimited coverage is certainly nice. Unlimited, uh, you know, attorney fees and damages and things like that. But probably my favorite thing about them is the people. And I know that sounds super corny, but I mean this in a very practical sense in terms of the value that brings to a member. When you call the 1-800 number because you've been involved in some sort of incident and you want them to come to your aid, the people who answer the phone, all of the various people who may answer the phone have all shot people and been shot at. Uh, and, and when they come to your aid and they send someone you know, to, to work with you, you'll be dealing with people. Everyone who helps you and, and, and deals with you has shot someone and been shot at. They, they are, they're not, they're not uh, you know, $15 an hour employees. This, this is a team of people who have been there, done that, and get it. Yeah. yeah I was having a conversation the other day with somebody that was trying to choose between uh, you know any number of these various programs and offerings that are on the marketplace, and that was kind of how, how the conversation went for me as well. Is it they they never like they impress me with their personal touch in how they treat their members and how they handle cases. They're very much directly and personally and intimately involved, rather than just footing the bill and handing you off to a legal team somewhere. Uh, that they, they still remain in touch uh, with their client throughout the duration of, of whatever takes place. Well so said. check it out, ccwsafe.com. And we're uh, proud of, to have them on, as a sponsor of the Concealed Carry Podcast. Today's uh, second episode sponsor is American Gun Law. This is a, a legal video course uh, covering kind of an overview of, Amer- well, American gun law and, and self-defense law that, that uh, features Jacob on camera with a uh, reputable uh, self-defense 
criminal or defense uh, criminal. Crim- what am I trying to say? Well, criminal defense, defense attorney. Criminal defense attorney. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Gee whiz. Is it Monday? No, it's Tuesday, but it feels like Monday. Uh, this American gun law video course. Uh, we filmed this. Uh, actually, it was our first major video project. But it still continues to sell, and uh, the information in that video course is still very relevant and very valid and, and important to understand. So, fantastic uh, multi-hour video training course. You can check it out at concealedcarry.com forward slash AGL. That's for American Gun Law. So, there you go. All yeah. right. <clears throat> now we've gotten past the feeling like it's Monday part, I hope. Uh, let's go into our our lead story, our first story here, and and this is a this is a DGU. Uh, the lead's really buried on this one. Uh, pretty much the very end of the story, you you learn about the self defenders involved. But uh, first story is out of Dallas, Texas, and it says that four people were injured, at least one of them critically. You know, shooting at a sports bar after some men were not allowed in due to COVID-19 restrictions. Basically, you have this this bar. We'll call it a bar. It's a sports bar. There was some debate whether it's more of a restaurant versus a bar. It doesn't really matter because all places are being limited. At least it's the same here in Colorado. Every business is restricted to so many occupants at one time based on square footage, right? So this this business reached its limit in terms of people security was checking people in tech taking their temperatures even and counting what the occupancy of the premises was at and they hit a point and they said, sorry, no more locked the doors. And, uh, at least one gentleman was upset by that and went to his vehicle and came back with some kind of semi-automatic rifle from the sound of the report here. Open fire just from the outside the building, shooting into the building. And this is where a number of people were injured. Then, apparently, this guy goes around to the backside of the building. I think that's what it said. Yeah, the back of the sports bar. And it was in the back there. And I'm assuming he was going to try to find entry into the business or continue shooting into the business from that side. I don't know. But at the back of the sports bar, he encountered and said, armed patrons so apparently multiple individuals who were armed and and gunfire was exchanged and that caused this attacker to break off and and run off pretty remarkable story in dallas texas yeah and despite shooting randomly into the building we don't know how many rounds were fired uh, but despite you know shooting randomly into a building uh, three people in the building were shot uh, I don't know, if, you know what his hit rate is. We don't know how many shots fired, but I'm guessing it was quite a few. But three people were injured, one of one of which critically injured. So I thought that was kind of interesting, you know, that um, inside of a building, without any visibility on the patrons in that building, shots could be fired at random into you know into the building, and three people would be injured. Of course, we know that the building was relatively full. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah, it was, you know, Whatever that capacity is, it was at its full capacity with current uh, COVID-19 guidelines. But, uh, yeah, uh, things are getting crazy. We're just seeing all kinds of, I mean, crazy stuff's happening all the time. But related to this ongoing 
COVID-19 drama and riots and protests. There's, and that's, that's where a lot of these stories we're sharing today are, are kind of spawned from. Uh, this is a situation where these guys, these, this individual in particular, the, the gunman was denied entry because, sorry, we can't take more people due to COVID-19. And that was just enough to flip that switch for him and cause him to turn in. Well, maybe he was already a murderer. Who, we don't know anything about this guy, but in this case to just go uh, full, full out with uh, the violence here. So uh, we're, it doesn't from the reports that I've seen. And by the way, this occurred a week ago, Saturday and uh haven't seen anybody ended up dying from injuries. It just said that one individual was uh, somebody was shot in the arm. Uh, another suffered non-life-threatening injuries, but there was another victim that was taken to the hospital in critical condition. As far as I've seen in follow-ups, uh, everyone has is pulling through so far. So, and uh, gunmen at large, uh, according to the last uh, report as well. So, no idea who this guy was either yet. So this this is an interesting one, you know, tactically, because if you're in this building, you you probably are unaware that there was any sort of conflict at the entry, you, you know, at the door. You're probably unaware that there's a couple of dudes just got turned away because you're at capacity. You're just enjoying your meal, right? You probably have no idea that there's you know some upset dudes at the front of the building, and so you're just eating away or drinking away or whatever people do in this place, and uh, you just start hearing gunfire. And the people inside said that it sounded like gunfire. And one comment from from a witness specifically said that the rate of fire was oh, well, they didn't talk about the rate of fire they talked about the total number of shots that it was you know just a lot of shots were fired so if you're in this building and you know you're hearing gunfire and stuff's going you know glass is breaking and wood is flying and stuff you know I think that the the, the brain gets confused really fast because the tendency is to look for the shooter, right? Hey, where's the shooter? Oh my gosh, you know, bolts are whizzing. Where's the shooter? And you're looking, and you're not going to see the shooter. And even you know, and 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 there's nothing you can you can't really shoot back. What are you gonna do? Shoot back through this random wall in some random direction at some potential right. shooter in the street? That seems ridiculous. So this is a situation where hopefully that brain is processing very quickly. Uh, I can't see the shooter. I can't identify the shooter. I don't know where the shooter is. And so you kind of got to go into a, you know, fortify, escape and evade kind of mode, right? Where you're looking for good cover. You're trying to identify at least the direction the shots are coming from. You're looking for good cover. You're trying to fortify a position. And at least some people thought, let's go out the back. You know, let's go out the back of the restaurant. And uh, that was primarily maybe a good idea, maybe not, but they encountered the shooter in doing so. And so it's it's just something I guess good food for thought for me. Be like, okay, yeah. you know, this is a situation where I can't identify the shooter, so I'm gonna yep. have to think differently. Yeah, all very good thoughts, good points to bring up, Jacob. You know, and you're you're going to be caught off guard being inside an establishment like that, and all of a sudden you hear gunfire and shots are just coming in. Uh, best thing to do is hit the deck first right got to get out of the line of fire and then you got to be thinking about getting the heck out of there and to your point i mean it was probably the right move well gunfire is coming from over here which is more, more most likely the front i should go to the back but the gunman can can change his tactics as well he can go elsewhere uh so we still got to be switched on and ready for for anything so like i said fortunately there was a couple of patrons that were themselves armed and they exchanged gunfire now that's that's intense right because you're most likely carrying a 
a handgun, maybe a subcompact, microcompact of some sort, like most people tend to carry these days, and you're engaging a semi-automatic rifle, right? That's a little bit of a disparity, but it was enough uh, return of force to uh, cause him to break off his attack and, and disappear. So well done. Bravo to those that uh, did what they needed to do. And we're thankful and, and feel I feel fortunate, even though I'm not personally involved, but I, I just I'm glad that nobody was killed in this. Mm-hmm. This is a weird one. I was thinking about cover and concealment. You know, we often talk about the value of concealment because mm-hmm. bad guys don't shoot what they can't see. But this bad guy is shooting what he can't see. <laughs> he can't see what he's shooting at. He's just shooting into the wall. Uh, yep. So this is a situation where you really need some legitimate cover because the bullets are just coming at random in whatever direction. Yeah. You know, that's a great point too, because bad guys don't have rules, don't follow rules by nature being a bad guy, right? Uh, They don't care about the rules. Uh, Us good guys. I think sometimes we forget that the bad guys don't have rules, but we still do have rules. We have to follow and abide by. You know, the very thing you were talking about, about not returning fire blindly outside, you know, through the outside of the building, uh, that would be breaking good guy rules because you don't know who's out there and you might end up shooting somebody that doesn't deserve to be shot. And so we have to we have to keep that perspective in mind. Yeah, good cover. And, and here's the other thing, too. Okay, it's very relevant because of the uh, firearm that was likely being used by the perpetrator of this crime. Cover depends right it changes based on what's being fired at you yeah if this is 223 at 1900 feet per second right uh no a lot faster than that bro like 3000 plus oh okay yeah not my my area of expertise clearly and velocity is the killer of of penetration yeah i mean like that's what's going to blow through Things that typically a, might stop a, a handgun round. So that's that's the thing. So it's about triple you know, we have velocity to keep in perspective. We got to go. Okay, hey, th- you know, this seems like it's good cover. This is a good place for me to hide. Yeah, that might be true if it was standard nine millimeter or forty or forty five being fired your way, but it may completely change based on the weapon system that is being used against you. So, and we don't know anything about the construction of the building, you know, if this is going through brick or what, right? So, yeah, there's some photos and videos, but yeah, it's really hard to tell. And, And most modern construction is not, unless you are actually make making walls out of concrete and true masonry, uh, like good masonry. Yeah. It probably is not going to do much, uh, which is why, Getting low first and foremost, that's that's the key. Uh, hitting the deck and hopefully uh, hopefully everything works out. All right. Let's go now also in Texas, but this time in Austin. This is where it, this, this is a follow-up story uh, to the situation. Many of you probably heard about where you had a gentleman, actually an, an army, I think he's a sergeant. Sergeant. Uh, yes, U.S. Army sergeant. He was he was caught in one of these downtown protests in Austin. Uh, some shots were fired. Jacob, give us a rundown on on what happened there, and also what what's relevant now to this case based on things that are coming out. Well, I've not researched in great depth, so what I know is what you know what I know from this this story that was released today, and and effectively this what we have now is additional details and statements being made by this U.S. Army sergeant's uh, attorney. 
we have some context as to why he was there. He was driving Uber. Apparently, he's been driving Uber, Uber for some time, and he, you know, makes money doing that. And they were able to document that he, you know, works for works for Uber and drives. So that would seem like the likely reason why he was present. We know that he drove into or toward this crowd and was felt like he was unable to proceed. He honked several times. Uh, we know that a member of the crowd. I'm using the word crowd these days, Riley, because it feels the most like universally applicable. So I don't get in trouble for calling people the wrong thing. Protesters, rioters, what? Yeah, I just I'm, I'm, I'm going with mob, right? I'm just going with crowd because it's universally accepted and has no negative or positive connotation. So we know that uh, while his vehicle was stopped, a member of the crowd uh, approached the side of his vehicle. Uh, with a rifle. There's some conflicting stories perhaps about whether or not the rifle was pointed at him or if it was being used uh, as a, as a, you know, physically to do damage to the vehicle. But regardless, U S army sergeant inside of his vehicle uh, fires at the, the man with the rifle and, uh, and apparently is able to proceed forward in his vehicle and does so at a decent rate. And we know that other people in the crowd uh, fired on his vehicle as he was driving off. That's that's roughly what we seem to know. Though I think there's some conflicting details there. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I saw some video and stuff on this whole incident, and and it's a it's chaos, right? You don't really know what's going on, uh, but yeah, you hear a series of shots, and then there's there's a break in time, and then you hear more shots. Um, so yeah, uh, so what what's relevant that's coming out is you know initially you hear stories about things and you don't know what's what. I mean, we had an incident here in Aurora, Colorado a couple of weeks ago, about two weeks ago now, I believe uh, in another situation, they had blocked the freeway. You had a Jeep that was stuck in this crowd, this mob of people uh, very similar, right? People beating on, on your vehicle, trying to maybe even gain access to that vehicle. You had a driver that was uh frightened by it all they start trying to drive their way through the crowd and next thing you know you've got somebody in that crowd of people shooting into that jeep and and they actually ended up hitting other protesters in the area instead um but uh you know you hear all these reports and it's hard to know what's correct and what's true and what to believe and this was another one where for several days there is a little unclear as to what's going on But the more and more I learn about this incident, it seems pretty clear cut. This is a case of self-defense where a driver felt threatened by a protester armed with an AK. And he decided he needed to act. This army sergeant did so. And then, and then he took, and then he evaded. He took off in his vehicle. He did the right thing too, as far as I think as soon as was appropriate, it just said, you know, he, he escaped and then he called 911, told police what went down, said, hey, I was just involved in a shooting. I've dro- driven away because, you know, my safety and the police directed him to pull over to stop. They then met up with him. They took him back to the scene. He was interviewed, questioned. Doesn't seem like there's any, you know, anything to pursue there uh, in the case of this uh, army sergeant that defended himself from within his vehicle. And he it's turned over lots of evidence. He turned over his gun. He turned over his phone. Yep. Um, so, yeah, that, it would seem that, you know, all the signs currently available point to his innocence. I, I think yep. for me that the challenging beast here is that sometimes you can have two innocent people who get into a gunfight and they're yep. both victims. 
and and they can both be legally justified. We don't see this very often, but you you have to understand how it's hypothetically possible that that just by nature of perceiving the best the best a human is able to perceive, you know, the potential threat that exists, it's very easy for two innocent people to mistake each other as potential threats and both of them act lawfully in their own defense. Now, I'm not saying that's what happened here. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. I'm, I'm simply saying that these are the kinds of situations that make me consider that an innocent person can exercise lawful force in self-defense against another innocent person. And, yes. and it's just one of those awkward, tough, difficult things. You're, you're exactly right. You know, that's, that's one of the risks of carrying a gun, particularly openly. Uh, openly carrying a gun, while there are those that would argue that it may serve the purpose of deterring crime from occurring to them, it could in some instances actually create the problem or create the opportunity uh, for a situation to be misread or misunderstood. And it's clear that more and more people are carrying guns. I mean, in the early days of these protests, you didn't see any instances of these protesters firing into cars that that were trying to make their way through these hordes of people. Now you're seeing that more and more. So it's clear that more and more of these protesters are are taking things more seriously as far as choosing to arm themselves, even at these protests. Uh, you have a gentleman that I he, he may very well have been I don't. I can't speak to his to his uh, mannerisms, to uh, the way he conducted himself. But you have a gentleman that was carrying an AK forty seven that may very well have been completely in the right to do so. But now you're a part of an activity that's blocking traffic, stopping people, maybe per, maybe then permitting other protesters to do damage to that vehicle. And in some cases, that may cause the occupants of the vehicle to perceive that they are in danger. In fact, I'd say it's very likely that's how it'd be perceived. And you're standing there with a rifle. How else is that going to be perceived, right? So, so again, we're yeah. I, I appreciate the tact that you're taking, Jacob. We're not trying to cast judgment on on any the, the the specifics of the intents of the the people involved is not really relevant it's more that this is a great example of something to look at and consider and go how might my actions or how i'm dressed or how i'm carrying a gun be perceived by others mm-hmm. it's all very relevant yeah but we don't if if all we're looking at are the facts related to this guy, the driver who shot out of his car at another human, then then the question to ask is, was his perception that he had an imminent, deadly threat reasonable or not? And whether or not he really had an imminent, deadly threat is not relevant. What matters is if his perception that he had a reasonable, imminent, th- deadly threat was reasonable. And that's that's kind of yeah the point that I, I was trying to make, and I think you you summarized it well, Riley. Cool, man. Well, let's move on to this is a story of of what not to do. Okay, we always we typically fe- feature stories like this where they might otherwise be a justified save, and in some cases 
the end result is achieved where bad guy is thwarted, but mistakes may be made along the way. Now, let's be clear. Even in completely, fully ruled, justified defensive gun uses, uh, I think it's extremely rare that an individual uses deadly force and does everything perfectly. But there are lines that shouldn't be crossed, and sometimes they are crossed. Some, I think sometimes it's, more than one line. <laughs> yes, and and it's I think really important for us to try to learn from those instances where we can. Here we have a story. Uh, it says that an armed Sunnyland resident stops a reported vehicle prowl, but nearly has guns stolen. I don't even know where exactly this one happened. Sunnyland or Bellingham Police. It refers to Whatcom County Jail. These are like this is like sounds like it's out of a novel. I've never even heard of any of these counties or yeah, give, give us something. Yeah, hold on. <laughs> I'm checking the, the website. Anyway, here. while you check into that, we had a situation this basically in Washington uh, state, Bellingham, Washington. Okay, cool, cool. Well, maybe I have heard of Bellingham, Washington. I don't know. Um, cool. So basically what you had here was there was a man carrying a knife breaking into a car. It happened on a Saturday night. The date of this article is July 15th, so this is a few weeks ago. And he attempted to stop that vehicle break-in. Uh, so the uh, the resident went out. They were armed with a gun. Uh, that resident confronted, again, this was an armed intruder or, or break, you know, this dude was breaking into a vehicle. Uh, the, uh, the resident went outside, uh, saw the man trying to, break into his neighbor's car, noticed that his own truck had also been broken into. And in the, re- in the, w- in the way he knew that is because the lights were, were on inside his truck. All right. He told this Criminal. car thief to not go anywhere until police arrived. Uh, but the, the criminal tried to talk his way out of it. He started walking. Now, this is a common tactic, okay? We have to watch for this kind of thing. We see this with people armed with knives with uh, police officer interactions that will sometimes walk towards the cop, even with that knife in their hand. And so anyway, this, uh, this criminal started walking towards the resident with his arm stretched out, the article reads. Uh, the victim told this car thief that he would defend himself if he continued to approach. All right, so 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 far everything's going okay, right? Although one thing we could point out would be why did this resident choose to go outside of his safe place, his home, to confront this activity, right? That's certainly within one's right to do so, but tactically speaking, this is something we we speak to very frequently on the podcast. Not I mean, by doing so you increase your own personal risk. Not the best decision. Yeah. Now, this guy, this this resident, this neighbor, he uh, he does a good thing. He does good, you know, in telling him you need to stop or I will defend myself. Okay, that's great. That's that's perfect. You're you're drawing that line in the sand now. You're right? communicating verbally, establishing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the car thief continues to approach. So the victim at this point fires a warning shot. And instead of stopping, see this is see this is where it gets so interesting because 
people sometimes think this, I think, well, fire a warning shot and that'll probably scare them away. Well, didn't work in this case. Dude was not scared. Not at all. In fact, if anything, that might have emboldened him because, oh, we have a dude with a gun that is clearly not quite ready or willing to use it to actually shoot me. So, bam, the fight is on. The car thief attacks the victim uh, and attempted to wrestle the gun from their hand. Whew. During the struggle, the victim said he could feel the car thief trying to turn the gun into his into the victim's body and feared that he was going to get shot. As police arrive, so fortunately things have been called. Police are responding. They're showing up and the car thief runs off. It's the fact that police show up to respond that probably saves this guy's life. Yeah, pretty wild. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> me coming to the aid of strangers or protecting my vehicle's contents or preventing bad guys from evading justice is all optional. What's not optional is me breathing at the end of the day. That's required, right? I got to be breathing at the end of the day. So in this case, let's, we, we already said that going outside is probably a bad idea, but let's just presume that that, that deal is done. I'm outside. I'm in my driveway. I look at my, tr- my truck, which conceptually this would never happen to me i don't park vehicles in my driveway anyway i look at my truck the lights are on the doors are broken or something and and my alarm system went off by the way that's what that's what caused me to come outside is my alarm my alarm alerted me something was up i see now this dude he's in dark clothing or something and he's in my neighbor's driveway trying to get into that car and so i feel compelled to say something i yell something stop in this case we, the, our homeowner says, you know, stay put until the, co- you know, he told him to stay until the cops arrived. So I call out, say something. He starts to approach me. I see the knife. This, this is where crap hits, gets real. And this is where I think that we got it. We've got to really break this down and think about this. In these, in these, in these moments, I can't, I can't for one hope. I can't hope that, you know, things are going to work out. I have to assume the worst case scenario. Uh, I also want to maximize my odds of success, which means that my actions got to be more than standing here and issuing verbal commands. So I, I guess I'll point out two things and, and I'll throw it back to you, Riley. The first one is, is I think the obvious one, and that is just the commitment to act, right? This idea that, okay, someone's approaching me. I've dr- I've drawn a line in the sand. I've communicated that line and said, if you keep approaching me, I'll defend myself. But then ultimately I don't. I just don't have the nerve or I think I have time on my side and then all of a sudden that time is gone and now he's on top of me. So the commitment to act that, Hey, I've, I've made a decision when, when this, when X, Y, Z thing happens, I'm going to have to fire and then actually firing the gun. So that I think is probably the most obvious thing, but that another one is simply getting to cover and, and putting something between me and the attacker. Oh, dude's walking toward me. I can retreat into the house. There, I, there's at least a truck handy. I know because you know the lights are on. So I can get the truck between me and the attacker. And that may not be awesome cover for gunfire, but the attacker doesn't have a gun. Attacker's got a knife. So all they, you know, that's a short distance weapon. All I got to do is keep myself from, you know, out of arm's reach and I'm going to be safe. Uh, he might be smaller, faster, or stronger than me. I don't know any of those variables, but I know that uh, he can't he can't you know stab me when he's on the other side of the truck, and I'm on this side of the truck. So putting some sort of object between me and him seems like a really good idea. So uh, those are the two 
things that most readily come to my mind. One would be the obvious one, which is you know commit to act and then act, and and the second being let's let's maximize opportunity for survival by you know using cover and, and creating distance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. If you're going to issue ultimatums, if you're going to draw that line in the sand, so to speak, you've got to be ready and willing to back it up. And unfortunately, this person did not have what it took in that moment to back it up. Uh, whether they were in denial, whether they didn't think or believe this person was willing to push the issue, uh, I don't know. But uh, either way, they were very lucky to come out of this alive. Um, so, yeah, we got again. We got to weigh things. I'm not going to tell people what to do, but we're always we're. I think it's always. I think it's always relevant to question why take yourself out of your safe space to defend something that is outside of that safe space. Your safe space is your home in this case, right? The vehicles are outside the home. Uh, It's apparent in this case, right? They may be in your garage, right? And that may change things too. But uh, that's got to be questioned, right? Just from purely, it's not a, it's not a question about rights. It's not a question about defending my property or whatever. We got to be careful with that, right? Depending on your state, depending the way that your laws read, it's just simply about a tactical matter that by me, I, I'm, I'm leaving my position of advantage and cover and all those things to go and try to stop this thing, Right. It's just that's not the smart tactic. Now, if you choose to do that, then you you got you better be switched on. You be you better be ready. Um, in this case, the warning shot didn't work. Warning shots are a bad idea, regardless. I'm not like I could foresee a very 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 limited uh, use case for a warning shot, but in most cases, it's a terrible 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 idea. We've talked about that many times before too. Um, so anyway, that's why we bring these stories to you. I got two other quick thoughts on this. Uh, Mm. I'm reminded of the incident with the sheriff's deputy who was involved in traffic stop. We have great body cam on this one. I think it's been a couple of weeks, but man has a knife, exits his vehicle, comes toward the sheriff's deputy. Eventually he kind of, you know, makes a final charge. She fires seven or eight rounds, Mm. has a malfunction and then fires a few more. Remember that one? That reminded me of something when that happened, and I think it it applies here too, and that is that we have to remember that I can put several shots on a target on a threat, and if they're if they and they can they still have time, they can still close the distance, even yeah. with holes in them and blood loss, and they can still slice me up. So it, it can't just be a factor of you know however many foot rule thing or whatever other thing. Like I got to understand that. You know, there's there's going to come a situation that even even if I choose to act, and I commit to act, and I fire. That doesn't mean that they just will guaranteed to just fall right there wherever the first shot. Like no, they they still can move forward, right? It, it, the physiology of the human is such that most most of the time they're not immediately you know kill over dead where they stand. So that's that's one thought. The second thought is just some some ancillary things that came up here in this news story about the mentality of the attacker. Uh, after the police show up and he ran off, he he climbed onto the roof of a home and, and was trying to hide. And eventually law enforcement found him. So he jumped off the roof and tried to run, got tangled in some lawn furniture, 
law enforcement surrounded him and he still refused to give up. And it was kind of a standoff until additional law enforcement showed up. And eventually they just had the numbers on their side. You know, it, it was the guy decided, you know, it, it was what it was. And even then he resisted arrest. So this was, you know, we talk a lot about our mentality and our defensive mindset and all those kinds of things, but this, you know, sometimes you have an attacker that's pretty dang determined and this would be one of those. Yep. And, or very, uh, skilled in being a criminal. And, uh, you know, this is the kind of person that, you know, I, I truly carry a gun for, I'm not worried about so much about the low level guys that, you know, that will be frightened off by, a little, you know, like so kind of back to the whole open carry versus concealed carry thing. You know, kind of talk about open carry a minute ago about that other story. And people will say, well, you know, it'll deter him. Um, this guy was not deterred by a gun that was pointed at him and then even by a warning shot. Or See by officers. Yeah. <laughs> See, it's not, I'm not worried about the criminal that's deterred easily by the presence of my gun on my hip. I'm worried about the guy like this guy that is slow to give himself up that will still approach police officers with a knife in hand because he doesn't give a crap. He either doesn't care about his own life or he's going to do everything he can to fight, 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 and try to take as many out as many others out with him as he goes down. Um, so anyway, just some things to think about there. Now, Jason here on Facebook asked the question, what about shooting the attacker in the shoulder of the arm that is holding the weapon? Just curious. Um, you know, we've addressed this a few times on the podcast as well. Uh, so basically shoot to wound versus shoot to stop the threat or which is the politically correct, correct way of shoot to shoot, shoot in a manner that may result in death. Um, a couple things. And Jake, I'm sure you have some thoughts on this as well. Uh, and I don't want to totally diverge, you know, off topic here, but, but because the question came up, I'll, I'll just say a couple things. Number one, you're asking somebody to shoot for a, as if it's not hard enough as it is to shoot a moving human target, center mass, you know, high thoracic chest cavity, whatever, uh, and, and affect the stop that way. You're asking someone under stress to shoot an even smaller, more difficult to hit target that has a lot less fudge factor for a miss. Meaning if I'm trying to shoot somebody in the arm or the shoulder, it's fine if I miss this way towards the body, but what happens if I miss that way? I don't have any fudge factor, right? Again, keep in mind, this is something where you're, you're suggesting that we might consider doing this as someone that is under stress already, uh, that is responding to this dynamic incident very quickly. And we got to make this decision and try to make a pretty challenging shot that once again is not going to immediately incapacitate them. Now what's the yes. goal trying to stop the threat? Exactly. Like everything you just said, plus the thing, the last thing you said is like, to me, the key, like ultimately it's all about objective. Like, let's just say I'm a crack shot and I'm Jason Bourne and I can jump down long stairways and hit people while flying. Right. Like it, all that aside, it's still irrelevant because the objective is to stop this person from hurting or killing me. And, in, and if that's the objective, then I need to do the thing that's most likely to achieve that objective. And shooting the person in the shoulder that's holding the weapon is ain't it. That may or may not cause them to drop that weapon, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they cease being a threat, even if they do drop that weapon. So it seems like a really poor um, solution to the problem. The problem is this person may want to hurt me. And so my objective is to prevent them from hurting me. 
and shoot even if you know even all the accuracy you know craziness aside even if i could definitely with great certainty shoot them in the shoulder that's holding the weapon that does not with any degree of certainty uh stop them from being a threat to any at all like in my world that's that's extremely inefficient uh, to achieving the objective so the most efficient thing to do is to cause as much blood loss and organ disruption as possible Right, the adult human ceases to be a threat. One of one of two things happens: either one, they emotionally decide that they no longer want to continue the attack, which probably happens more than we think. Probably more than half the time, but there's not a lot of great research on that. But probably more than half the time, a threat ceases to be a threat because they emotionally decide to stop being a threat. But the rest of the time, they have to be physically stopped. Right, they have to be physically in, incapable of continuing. They have to be. Uh, completely physically stopped. In order to physically stop the human from continuing to be a threat, there's you got two options. One is to hit them in the central nervous system, which once again is the whole small target you're likely to miss scenario, so we don't recommend it. And, and then the second way to stop the human from being the threat is to cause enough blood loss, enough organ disruption, that you essentially tell the brain tells the system to shut down and turn back on later. Mm-hmm. So in both cases, whether I'm trying to get them to emotionally decide this is a bad idea to continue, or if I'm trying to physically in- incapacitate them to the degree that they can't continue, regardless, my best course of action is to cl- cause as much blood loss and organ disruption as possible in the center combative hit zone. Uh, so both because I don't want to miss and because I want to achieve the objective, we, we don't try to injure people or shoot the appendage that's holding the weapon or anything like that. Yeah. Yep. Uh, there you go. I mean, but you're exactly right. You have, you have two options, CNS central nervous system, which is a difficult shot to make and far from a guarantee and with a very low threshold for, uh, for error and two, take out the pump house, right? Mm-hmm the blood supply, which has a greater margin for error if it's missed, um, but takes more time quite often for, for the stoppage to uh, finally occur. So catch up. Yeah. Yep. All right, man. Good stuff. Good analysis on that one. Here's another one. Um, again, this, and it has been ruled as a justified self-defense shooting, but there's some lessons to be learned from this one. So what not to do? Uh, maybe Jacob, can you give us a summary of this Blue Lake shooting determined to be self-defense story? This is yeah. out of Blue Lake, you California. Tell me, you tell me if I got anything wrong here. I'm doing my. I'm going to do my best with the narrative. So we have uh, a number of individuals, including an employee of the gas station, who are on the exterior of the building. Uh, I, in my mind, I see them on the sidewalk chatting, smoking a cigarette or something. Um, and and you have a the criminal, the bad guy, the BG who approaches the gun station, the, the gas station with a gun and uh, effectively convinces the, these people to run, to, to dismiss themselves. The criminal goes into the gas station, robs the place to whatever, whatever that might mean. I don't think we have a lot of detail there. And as they're exiting, we have uh, Nelson, who I think a- appears to be a, a, an employee of the gas station who exchanges gunfire with the bad guy, the BG. And uh, we don't have any surveillance video outside the gas station. So we don't, all of this is based on statements, but after Nelson exchanges gunfire, two really important things that I think matter. One, the bad guy is shot and yeah, that deal is done. But, but more important here are the details that I think matter. First Nelson hides the gun. 
in the gas station somewhere. Uh, it's later discovered when the when law enforcement uh, obtains a warrant to search the gas station and they search it and they find it. And they, they, they say, quote, that uh, they determined he had made efforts to conceal the gun before law enforcement arrived. The second real big serious problem is that Nelson claims to have not shot in his original statement. In his first statement, he says, no, he, quote, denied shooting the suspect in his initial statement and provided information inconsistent with the evidence. So then he's, you know, we're, the, the investigation continues. Clearly what this guy said happened didn't happen. Oh, now we find a gun. So now later on, July 7th, sometime later, he admits that he shot the ro- robbery suspect, but then he says it was in self-defense. So now the investigation continues based on this new statement from our, our victim, you know, Nelson. And they determined that all the evidence and all the witness statements that they did obtain are consistent with the new narrative of this man, which is a self-defense. And so they release him from, from jail and they, they release a statement to that, to that degree that, Hey, it it appears from our, you know, from our evidence that it was in fact self-defense. How'd I do Riley? Yeah, no, that's, that's the summary of the incident. Uh, And again, has been ruled that he's not going to face any charges in the shooting itself. Um, Who's to say that he doesn't get charged with some kind of obstruction uh, charge or uh, tampering with evidence, right? Because that's basically what he did here. And these are the mistakes that he made. He made he made uh, false and inconsistent statements to investigators. He tried to hide uh, the weapon that was used, uh, tampered with evidence, uh, all of that. So all kinds of you know bad mistakes. Here's the thing, and, and we've this has been covered on the podcast. Don West and I, I think, even talked about this a couple episodes ago when he was on. Uh, Andrew Brinka has talked about this some on our show as well. Um, but you, you don't want to make incriminating statements, right, necessarily. You don't want to sit there and just jabber away to the police about every little thing that happened in a self-defense shooting you were involved in, but you don't want to go completely the other way and, and refuse to say nothing either necessarily. And you especially don't want to be, make, be making anything up or denying involve, involvement in a situation, right? So you, you want to communicate the things that are important to be communicated. For, for instance, the 911 call, uh, basic info about a situation that's occurred, uh, medical response is required, police response is needed, blah, 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 right? Um, y- you know, y- you may be on the scene and they may be trying to figure things out and you might want to point out certain f- things that they might not notice right off the bat as far as, well, hey, there, you, you know, there's these shell casings here or there's a weapon over here that the perpetrator had or there's this scuff, these scuff marks on the ground. This is where our fight, you know, you may want to be, you, you may want to, because you may not have the opportunity to point that kind of stuff out later once you have legal representation in place. And so you want to make sure that the information well, that evidence they, might disappear. Right. Right. You want to make sure they have the information they need to, to start investigating and figuring out the story of what occurred that's going to play in your, if you're in your favor. And then you, you know, as soon as you can, you want to be retaining legal representation as well. Yep. Nothing to add. Okay. Well, let's move right along. Uh, here's a uh, justified save story. Uh, this one out of Brownsburg, Indiana. Oh, wait. I said we were going to save this one for last. Hold on. 
So naked man shot by woman after walking uninvited into her Port Arthur apartment. (laughs) You'd be surprised how often this kind of thing happens. Uh, It's not the first time this has happened. Not a lot of details on this case, uh, but in this case, you have a naked man. He knocked on the door of this woman's apartment. She responded. She opened the door, it said, and he just sort of like comes right in and he is buck naked. (laughs) Um, I laugh, right? Because it's just such a, you just can't imagine this sort of thing happening to you, but then it does. And now what? Uh, and it it doesn't go into detail if, if he was trying to force himself upon her, if he attacked her, but she clearly felt threatened. And again, as far as we know, according to investigators, a justified use of self-defense. I mean, this guy is inside her home. She uses a gun, shot him, it said in his lower extremities which is kind of funny in the case of a naked man story because that could be interpreted some ways. Uh, But uh, apparently this man is going to recover from his gunshot injuries and the woman goes about her life. Uh, Good for her for defending herself. Yeah. Again, we don't know a lot of things, but there's one detail in here that I think is relevant to point out. And that is that she opened the door. Yep. So I think had she known there was a buck naked man on the other side of the door, she wouldn't have opened it. So clearly she did not identify who was at the door before she opened it. And I think I'm on record of saying something along the lines of, I can't think of a single thing more valuable and important to an overall home defense strategy than being able to identify who's at the door before you open it. Yeah. So this is an apartment building. You know, we don't know if there's a peephole or not. Uh, if there's not, she may not have the right to install one herself on a, on a door that she doesn't own, being the, the, rent, you know, the, the, the person who's renting this apartment or leasing the apartment. But uh, there's a lot of other options today. Maybe you have a window you can look out or maybe you have one of these new fancy doorbells you know, that's got cameras on it or, or something. I, I, you know, maybe you have a chain so that you can open the door just a, a slight portion and see before you completely commit to letting the person in. Uh, I guess, you know, just a reminder on that, that one, you know, we need need to be able to identify who's at the door before we open it. That that's extremely massively critical. And it's a great point that you bring up that, you know, in the case of an apartment, you might not be able to choose uh, what kind of equipment you have available at your disposal to try to identify in which case, I mean, you may just want to call through the door. Who's there? And based on that response and how that comes back, I mean, that we, we have no idea of what this woman did, if anything at all. But definitely what you don't want to do is just go to the door and, you know, jerk it We're wide open, open when yeah. you don't, you have no idea who could be there. And don't I, assume, I, I, sorry, I was just saying, don't, don't assume just, you know, you might actually be expecting somebody. You want to be careful with that too. It could just be coincidence that that bad guy chooses that same very moment when you're expecting somebody else that you do know to come. So you just want to be really careful about, uh, you know, again, that's your safe space. You are relatively reasonably protected inside your dwelling and you want to keep it that way, uh, except for people that you know and trust. Yeah, I, I'll add two more comments here. One would be that I can't imagine a landlord saying no to you installing a chain. Like that, that would seem like a, a, a bottom delimitator. Like anybody should be able to just install a, a chain block on the door. And that's that, that would be like a better than nothing. Mm-hmm. The other thing I mentioned a, a window, and I, I guess I need to add some disclaimers because I'm seeing some comments come in here. Um, a window is better than nothing, also, right? Being able to, you know, glance really, you know, through a corner of a window and see who's out there on my doorstep is definitely better than nothing. But windows also have their disadvantages, particularly what we want to do is avoid. 
whoever's at the door being able to look into the house through the window. So I just wanted to add that two cents. So making sure that it's a covered window so that you can choose when or not to look through it. And when you do, you're not exposing everything. I wouldn't want the guy at my front door to know that I'm home alone or that I'm a woman or that I don't have that, 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 that noise they hear is a machine that's making the dog barking sound. Cause I'm not cool enough to have real dogs. I'm thinking of you, Riley. Um, you know, I, I, yeah, I, just my two cents on the window thing in case that was misinterpreted. Yep. Yep. All right. Final story. This one out of Brownsburg, Indiana, passing motorist fatally shot gunman who'd fired at two men killing one. And this occurred at the site of a cemetery. All right. Do you want the narrative? I'll give the narrative and you can give us the breakdown. Yep. All right. So here's how I think this goes down. Uh, Two men who says they're working at the cemetery. So I, I perceive them to be employees. So two men are working at the cemetery. Uh, our BG arrives and gets out of vehicle and starts shooting at our cemetery workers. It says that they, they actively made the decision to split up and go to separate directions in their flight from, from the gunfire. Right? So they split up, they take off in different directions and our BG uh, catches up with one of them uh, and, and, and is about to effectively execute him, if I'm not mistaken, when a uh, motorist who stopped at a traffic light at an intersection must be nearby. I presume, you know, it's, this would be near, near the cemetery uh, also uh, takes fire from the BG. And in the moment that the, uh, the, the motorist takes fire. He returns fire. He's armed and he returns fire. And he's apparently a much better shot than our BG because he hits the BG to the degree of incapacitating him. Uh, in fact, he dies yeah. on the scene. Yep. And uh, our motorist and our cemetery workers all, you know, make it through. It says that they, they were treated for injuries well, at the scene. W- one of them died. Okay. Oh, oh did I yeah. miss that? Oh, victim number one. Oh, that, that, this is confusing. The way this is written because they're using vi- they're numbering all our victims. Mm-hmm. So yes, victim one. You're right. Victim one dies, yeah. uh, which I presume is the guy that the BG caught up with. It's the cemetery worker. Well, so so there again, it is confusing how it's worded, uh, and it sometimes refers to victim one as being by his name, which is Seth Robertson, age 36. He passed away due to his injuries. Uh, so victim one is the one that's initially pursued, and he is shot and he is killed. Uh, and then it says that the gunman goes after victim oh, two, true. the second cemetery worker, turns around, yeah, and goes chasing after the guy. And it's he gets he's caught up to him as well and it says when victim three which is the driver the random passerby that is also struck by gunfire just randomly throughout all this and also happens to be armed he shoots the bad guy as the bad guy it says is pointing his firearm at victim two's head so victim two is about to also be killed and summarily executed just like victim one and because victim three, good Samaritan, armed good guy, shows up and drops the bad guy right then and there, he saves victim two's life. Yeah, that was confusing. I was off. So, so, so BG. I had read it about five times. It makes sense of it. Yeah. So, so BG shows up at cemetery, shoots. Uh, cemetery workers one and two run in different directions. 
He gives chase to cemetery worker number one, catches up, shoots him, kills him. Turns around and goes goes and chases cemetery worker number two, catches up with him, gets in a physical altercation, and at the m- moment he's about to execute cemetery worker number two, a motorist who appears to have taken some some of the gunfire you know, randomly into his vehicle responds with his own shots and kills the BG, saving the life of cemetery worker number two. Yeah. Okay. That's 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 the rundown. Um, yeah, some, somebody needs to give journalists some training on like narrating these kind of things better because it can be hard reading the news stories and making sense of them sometimes. Well, I wouldn't want to have to write, you know, in journalist talk either. So (laughs) I I suppose that goes both ways. Yeah, but this is a remarkable story and that's why I wanted to save it for last too, because, uh, it's a situation that, I mean, you have somebody that's just driving by in the area that is really sucked into the incident. I mean, it's almost like they didn't, I mean, they could have just taken off as soon as they were hit by the gunfire, but uh, presumably, unless they were stopped in an intersection or whatever, who knows? It's hard for us to know exactly um, all those, you know, to that level of detail, but uh, uh, he's sort of just sucked into this and it's fortunate that he's actually armed and able to defend himself uh just remarkable and 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 good on him i mean to to be shot and presumably wounded himself and and have the composure and state of mind to w- respond and stop the bad guy before bad guy kills this other cemetery worker i mean just just amazing i'd like to know who this gentleman is uh, one thing that i thought was interesting i looked up it says at the end of the article that these are the first homicides this year in the city of Brownsburg, Indiana. So I was a little bit curious about that. And I, I did look up Brownsburg and it's, it's, it's not a suburb of Indianapolis, though it's not too far from Indianapolis. Um, but the city itself is a population of like 26,000 people. So it's a relatively quiet, small town. Yeah. Where well, apparently see, things like this I, don't happen. I see it now. That time that we uh, flew into Chicago, rented a car, and drove to Indianapolis, we drove right by slash through Brownsburg. Yeah, it's on the north, kind of north northwest of the uh, metro area. Uh, Interstate 74 right there. So, yeah. Um, yeah. It's always interesting to put things in context when, you know, and within your frame of reference, when you just, you hear about these places, you hear these stories and you forget too. sometimes there's real people attached to these things. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, you could just be one day working in the cemetery and that might be your last um, because again, it doesn't say that there's any connection between this gunman and these two cemetery workers. Um, it would make more sense if there was some kind of connection there. He knows them somehow. Maybe he worked with them. Maybe he's a disgruntled employee or former employee. But at the same time, we know crazier stuff has happened where this guy, for whatever reason, just he just wants to kill people that day. And he picks these two dudes for whatever reason. And he's dead set on finishing the job by like actively because i mean keep in mind that initially it sounded like it started at the at the cemetery but the pursuit of victim number two actually took him through a residential neighborhood in the area there so this was this was ongoing this was 
this was a, and this dude was hunting these people down. So, with some anyway. efficiency, I might add. Yeah. Did, yep. Did a pretty good job. So, wow. I hope you got something out of that, folks. Uh, that's why we share these justified save stories and uh, lessons learned and whatnots to do and all that. Uh, this is again, one of my favorite episodes we do each month on the podcast. We typically do these on the first Tuesdays of the month in case you're, you know, wondering when our next justified saves episode will be, it'll be the first Tuesday of September. And I promise you there'll be more great content and examples like this to learn from then as well. Again, today's episode is sponsored and brought to you by CCW safe. We'd encourage you to check them out. CCWsafe.com. And then also our very own concealedcarry.com's American Gun Law video training course available at concealedcarry.com forward slash AGL. Last words, Jacob? Man, be safe and study the law, study the tactics. and But most of all, have the mindset of a defensive shooter, a person who does only what is necessary to survive and not anything else. Yep. Yep. I mean, well, where these, and I see the hashtag from Paul here on Facebook, while, while these people may very well be heroes and they are indeed, uh, I think the goal would be to have the mindset of not trying to be a hero, not trying to insert yourself into situations that you don't understand or that you would necessarily expose yourself to, to risk both physical or legal, right? Do what you got to do when you got to do it. And only as much as you need to. Right. So good, good place to end it and wrap it up. So with that, we're going to sign on out of here with a reminder to train right, train often and train safe. So you can fight hard, fight fast and fight true. Take care. A reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.